and welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Well, today, what my plan is, is to start a series where we're going to go through the major points of theology, beginning with the doctrine of bibliology, or that is to say, the doctrine of Scripture. Uh, I do want to say, uh, as we start this, that I'm not going to go through this probably all in one shot. Uh, I'll probably skip around a little bit and hit on other topics. For instance, next week, Lord willing, I'm planning on posting uh, an interview. And so my plan is to kind of work through this a little bit at a time, perhaps intersperse some other podcasts along the way. Um, But for now and today, we're going to start with uh, bibliology. And I do want to say as we begin that we do begin with that topic because everything within Christianity hinges on the veracity or the truthfulness of the Word of God. How do we know, for instance, about salvation, or about Jesus, or about God, or about God's law, or about justification by faith alone, or any other doctrine apart from God's Word? And the answer is we don't. We have to have God's Word in order to understand those ideas. Um, If we don't have Scripture, we don't have any knowledge about God other than general revelation. Now, according to Romans chapter 1, general revelation is enough to know some things about God's power and His divine nature. Romans 2 also teaches us that uh, general revelation does work through the conscience so that we know God's law, even if we haven't been taught it. So, for example, our consciences, they teach us that murder is wrong, that lying is wrong, and certainly you can sear your conscience, you can, uh, quote-unquote, reprogram your conscience, but uh, intuitively, uh, we do know those things are wrong. You don't have to be taught that, you just know it instinctively. But general revelation only goes so far, and thus we need special revelation to teach us more. Romans 10, 14 teaches us, for instance, how will they call on him whom they not whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So salvation requires that we hear the gospel, which requires the written word of God. Uh, but before we look at that, I do want to mention just one more thing. In episodes 30 and 31, we asked this question, how do we know the Bible is true? And I'm not going to rehash all of that here. Basically, uh, I argued that because the Bible is an ultimate standard, it is self-authenticating. And if you want to hear more on that, uh, you can go listen to those episodes. And I also commend to you the book, uh, Canon Revisited by Michael Kruger, um, And uh, I do want to remind you of one verse, actually, as well, and that's Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 14, that says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater uh, by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. So when God makes a promise, he makes that promise by himself. There's no higher authority than God. His promises are anchored to himself. He cannot appeal to another outside authority, and the same is true for Scripture. It's self-authenticating. So I, I want to say all that briefly, just to say I'm assuming that we're all understanding that principle, namely that God's Word is self-authenticating. And so from here on out, what I want to do 
is to work through our church's statement on bibliology. And so I'm actually just going to uh, just start off by reading that statement uh, on our church's website. You can see that. And the statement is this, quote, We believe the Bible, comprised of the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, is the complete Word of God. We believe the original manuscripts of the Bible were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We believe the Bible, and only the Bible, is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, is preserved by God, and as such is completely authoritative for faith and practice in all cultures and all times. And of course, we have a number of verses that uh, go along with that. We'll see a couple of those here. So what we say is that we believe in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. We reject, for instance, the Apocrypha, heretical add-on books like the Book of Mormon. We believe in the authority and the sufficiency of the 66 books of the Bible. We also say that we believe the Bible is inspired. And it's a little bit of a shame that that word doesn't mean today what it meant before. Today, when we think of that word, we think, you know, oh, I was inspired by the sunset to go do such and such. Inspiration today is more of a stimulation to creativity. And yet what we mean by inspiration is that it is God-breathed. That is, uh, it comes from God to man. In other words, the Bible is written by God. There's one author. God moved men to write it, but he is the single author. Furthermore, we affirm that the inspiration took place at the original manuscripts. God's word has never been re-inspired in a newer translation, such as the King James-only crowd will sometimes argue that, that they'll say that God has re-inspired the English text of the King James Version. So what we're saying uh, is that um, when we have two manuscript copies, and obviously, by the way, we don't have the original, original manuscripts. We have... Um, copies of them. When, when two of those copies disagree, our concern is what did the original text say? Did it have this verse or did it not have this verse? Now, fortunately, the differences are very minor. Uh, we never have a doctrine that is altered, for example. Most of the differences are small things, like the order of the words, like does it say Christ Jesus, or does it say Jesus Christ? Which way uh, is uh, uh, are the words there? Uh, things of that nature are most of the uh, differences. Now, this does make some people nervous because it sounds like we're saying that we no longer have God's word. But there is another doctrine that guarantees we will always have God's word, and that is the doctrine of the preservation of Scripture. We reference that in our statement that I read a moment ago that, that says this, that says the word is preserved by God. And I want to give just a couple of verses that uh, reveal that to us. One of them is Psalm 119 in verse 160, where we read this, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So God's word or his righteous rules will last forever. They are eternal. Jesus promises the preservation of Scripture with reference to the law in Matthew 5.18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Furthermore, Jesus promises the preservation of Scripture with reference to his own words in Matthew 24.35. Heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will not pass away. And the simple encouragement that we can get from this doctrine is the confidence that what we have in our hands is the word of God. In other words, we don't have to be uh, worried or um, wondering, you know, well, uh, the word of God has been copied so many times that perhaps what we have is just a big mistake and we can't be confident about it anymore. No, that's not true. And I want to read to you uh, another group of individuals who also believed in the preservation of Scripture, and that is, uh, ironically, the King James translators. Here's what the King James translators say in the preface to the King James Version. Now to the latter we answer, that if we, or that we do not deny, nay, we affirm and avow that the very meanest, or that is to say the poorest, translation of the Bible in English set forth by men of our profession containeth the word of God, nay, is the word of God. And then they give an example. As the king's speech, which he uttered in parliament, being translated into French, Dutch, Italian, and Latin, is still the king's speech, though it be not interpreted by every translator with the like grace, nor peradventure so fitly for phrase, nor so expressly for sense everywhere. In other words, if I can... uh, kind of cut through perhaps some of this older English, what the King James translators are saying is just like the king's speech is translated into different languages, and you could still say it's the king's speech in the same way, just like the word of God is translated into other languages, you can still say it is the word of God. And and they make sure to clarify not just that it contains the word of God, but that it is in actuality the word of God. In other words, the King James translators were not King James only. But that is not as much my point, as much as the fact that they recognize the value in other translations, and they affirm that other translations are in fact the Word of God. This is, as we said a moment ago, the doctrine of preservation. And because of this, we can be confident that the Bible is not only accurate, but it is also authoritative. Its authority extends to all cultures in all times. The Bible never gets outdated, and that's why we make our appeals to the Word of God instead of the Word of man. The Bible never needs to be updated. And this issue, namely the authority of the Word, is why I believe we have so many attacks on bibliology today. And these attacks, unfortunately, come not only from outside the church, but from inside as well. In fact, there may even be more attacks coming from inside. I don't know, but it just seems like all of the attacks that I'm hearing of are ones that are coming from uh, inside people, uh, people who supposedly are from inside the church. Uh, I think the reason for this, and that is to say the reason that the authority of the word is attacked, um, is, is because if... God's word is not completely true, then I don't have to be entirely accountable to it. If God's word is partially true, then I could kind of pick the convenient parts and get rid of the inconvenient parts. In other words, by attacking the uh, veracity of God's word, what I end up doing is I put myself in the driver's seat and I put myself in the seat that gets to determine then what is true and what is not. If the Bible's not completely true, then who's going to tell me? Who gets to decide what is true and what's not? And typically what happens is that you have people who are saying the parts of the Bible that are true 
are the ones that affirm the values of fallen humanity, and the parts of the Bible that are false are the ones that go against the values of fallen humanity. And what ends up happening when you deny the veracity of Scripture, when you deny the authority of Scripture, is you end up telling us more about yourself and less about Scripture. In other words, it becomes very autobiographical. All you're doing is telling us what you like and dislike, which is not really what we're searching for. We're trying to search for what's true, not what's convenient, what is true, and not what just happens to please you as an individual or please us as a society. What ultimately is the ultimate standard of truth? We need to fight for the truth of the word, and we need to be consistent in holding ourselves accountable to it. And if we do that, there are going to be a few applications that we'll make that will cause us to stand out from the world uh, and from many churches that have rejected the truth of God's word. And for instance, I'll, I'll just list a couple of them here, uh, and there are, there are many applications, but uh, one, one of the outflows of embracing the truth of Scripture is that we're also going to embrace expository preaching. That is to say, uh, we're going to preach what the Word says, and we're not going to import human ideas into it. And so expository preaching is uh, not very popular today, and the reason for that, as I would argue, is because there is a prior rejection of the Word of God. Uh, we want what... Um, what, what again, appeals to our fallen uh, values. Uh, another application is that a, a, a solid view of the authority of Scripture will lead us to reject secular psychology and embrace biblical counseling. And one of the distinctions there is biblical counseling embraces a biblical uh, view of man, and that is to say man is totally depraved, whereas secular psychology does not accept that. They typically will either say that man is uh, inherently good or inherently neutral, and so you have very differing views uh, and outflows of that. But again, it goes back to your bibliology. That, that's where all these things end up uh, going back to. Uh, it also will lead us to embrace creation instead of evolution. It will lead us to reject the world's way of thinking and to embrace God's way of thinking. It will lead us to accept the biblical diagnosis and solution instead of the secular diagnosis and, and solution, which and one of the popular things going on right now is a secular idea of social justice. And that really is a rejection of what the Bible calls the problem and a rejection of what the Bible says the solution is. It's actually adding to the gospel. What God's word does is it causes us to think radically different than the world does. What I want to do is just kind of wrap up today with uh, really the same way that I uh, wrapped up or closed out this last Sunday's message. I, we were talking about the um, the reliability of the Word of God, and uh, what I mentioned in that message at the close there was that my wife and I recently watched a video uh, on uh, fractals in the Mandelbrot set. Um, fascinating, fascinating video. It was done by Dr. Jason Lyle. And basically, uh, go, go, look, go look it up. But if, if you ever thought that you understood infinity, this video shows that you don't. <laughs> and and I, it just absolutely is mind-blowing to try to wrap your mind around what infinity is. And 
it's incredible to think about just the depth of the infinite mind of God. And I walked away from that video amazed at the regularity and the predictability of mathematics. Two plus two always equals four. Mathematics proceeds from the mind of God. And God's word also proceeds from the mind of God. And just like we have confidence in math, so too we have to have confidence in God's word. God's word will be wrong as frequently as two plus two will equal five. It'll never happen. God's word is sufficient, it is true, and it is authoritative. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. More fully confirmed. God's word is confirmed, and we can bank on that. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com. Thank you.